0: Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Would you please open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 20. Romans chapter 16, beginning with verse 17, reading through verse 20. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting, For the report of your obedience is reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart here be acceptable in your sight. You who are our strength and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We remember from last week that the Apostle Paul drew to an end and then thought better of himself and started over again. And what he started over again with was love. That he, he began to commend Phoebe He talked about this person and that person, and out of the exuberance of his love for everybody and his desire for them to love each other, he was trying to make connections, right? And that's what we're in the middle of here. It will continue after our text this morning with Timothy. But here we have it aside. We have the Apostle Paul straying from the path he's chosen, and we can tell that he's straying because it starts with the word now. If you've ever listened to Charles Stanley preach, you know that about every other sentence, he says, now listen. And so you, it's similar with, uh, with uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He would stop in the middle of a sermon. He'd say this all the time. Now, this may be the most important truth. And so the Apostle Paul, something has occurred to him and having it occur to him, he stops in the middle of all the Bonhami and he says, now. Now what's interesting is that a number of the scholars who study scripture, uh, at this point they say, now this is not a part of the original letter. And so there are many scholars who, some of them using redaction criticism they say this has nothing to do with the text that's before it or the text that's after it so this can't be original it's somebody who was copying the text or added to it And because this wasn't Paul's train of thought here now I'm telling you that so that you know the kind of men that the apostle Paul is telling you to be on guard against here okay? They take this and they say, what's all this with warning them and this intensity? And he was in the middle of a nice riff, and now he's going off into dissonance, you know? No, this belongs, and it belongs because we know the Apostle Paul does this all the time. You know, he, he's, he's on a train of thought, and all of a sudden he goes off on a siding somewhere, and he, he can stay on that forever and then come back. You know that's how the Apostle Paul writes, he thinks, he speaks. So now let's look at the actual aside. What is he stopping his greetings and his love in order to do? Well, he says, now I urge. So whatever it is, it's urgent. Because he says, I urge. (laughs) And so Whatever he stopped for is something he feels very strongly about because he's urging us. Now I urge you. So he's talking to the people in the church in Rome and he's getting very personal. It's not greetings now. Now I urge. Then this little word, brethren. Okay, let's do the routine. The word brethren in Greek is adelphoi. Adelphi doesn't mean skunk. And it doesn't mean circus. And it doesn't mean haircut. And it doesn't mean father. And it doesn't mean fathers plural. And it doesn't mean brothers and sisters. It means brothers. But, our Bibles today are smarty pants. All the scholars and the publishers thought, well, you know, we live in a culture that hates men and male authority and so let's try to hide it in scripture. And so they sat down and they came up with a way of dealing with the New Testament epistles where the word brothers is everywhere. And they thought, well, how can we deal with this? One Bible, uh, when I saw the uh, uh, galley proofs, before it was ever released publicly, I saw that they'd taken Adelphoi and changed it to Christian friend. Okay, Christian friends, you know? And I was like, seriously, friends? You know, last time I checked, I can choose to have a friend and I can get rid of them. The problem is I can't get rid of my brothers. I mean, you get the point. Brothers are lifelong, and so these Bibles have done this. And so here, where the Greek word is very specifically brothers, all right. Different Bibles have dealt with it in different ways. Now we use the NASB, but we use the 1995 edition. They've come out with the 2020 edition, and the way the 2020 well, first let me tell you how. Um, let me tell you how the ESV deals with it. The English Standard Version deals with it by having brothers in the text, and the ESV is always lilting. It's suggestive. It never punches you in the face. It just makes things less than they are, okay? And so the ESV, and, and it may be the best Bible there is. I'm not making a judgment about that. But the ESV deals with it by having a footnote, and down in the footnote it says, or brothers and sisters, Now, mind you, the Greek word is brothers. But they say, eh, or brothers and sisters. The good thing is that most people don't read the footnotes. The bad thing is that the kind of people that read the footnotes think that they're superior to everyone else. And when they read that, they realize that they've been welcomed into the cognoscenti. Those people with enlightened perceptions, those people who read footnotes. All right, And so they have this, this suggestion made to them in the footnotes and they walk away thinking, oh, I get it. They were patriarchs. We are matriarchs or, or we're, yeah, I get it. Okay, so that's, that's the new edition of the NASB. That's why we haven't gone to the new edition of the NASB. No, that's the ESV. Now, the new NASB does this. They have brothers and sisters, and remember the Greek word is brothers. Okay? They have in the text brothers and sisters, right? But what the NASB 20 does is very sophisticated because they put and sisters in italics. And so if you're aware how the NASB uses italics, then you know that those words are supplied but not in the original text now there are many places in the nsb where italics words that are supplied are necessary for the meaning here they're not necessary for the meaning because the meaning is brothers we don't need to be told and sisters right but it's still better that they indicated that those words aren't in the original Then you go to the two most selling, highest selling Bibles in the English language and they are the New International Version and the New Living Translation. Both of those versions simply translate brothers and sisters. Remember, the text doesn't say sisters. It doesn't say and, okay? They simply tell you it means and sisters. Now, stop for a second and ask yourself this are there places where you know from the text that when it says Adelphoi, brothers, that women are included? Of course. So then ask yourself the question, why can't we just replace Adelphoi with brothers and sisters? Because after all, we know that women are listening. And it's so demeaning to women to talk to men Specifically, when women are listening. And so supply the stupid words, you know. Put them in. We have modern sensibilities, right? Right? Are you all with me? OK, but here's the problem. When he says, "Here, now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who caused dissensions. Do you think women are listening to his letter? Huh? Of course. Now, do you think women should keep their eye on people that cause deceptions? Of course. So why on earth not supply ancestors? Now listen, this is not a complicated thing. Trust that every word of scripture is inspired. That's Always been the doctrine of Scripture throughout church history. And trust that where God includes words, those words are important. Trust that where God doesn't include words, that his lack of inclusion is important. Trust that where Scripture makes things explicit, that's part of the inspiration. Trust that where Scripture makes things uh, a little bit dicey, a little bit hard to understand, a little bit ambiguous. That's part of the inspiration of Scripture. So if Scripture chooses to direct this statement to brothers, trust that there's meaning in that. Now, why would Scripture address men specifically at this point? Now listen, the minute I ask that, you realize that to translate this, brothers and sisters changes the meaning of the text. Why? Well, because it allows men to hide. Because it's an ollie olly in free. It's like everyone, brothers and sisters, you know. What man is going to stand up and defend the body of Christ when it's all of a sudden the job of women and men together? It just infuriates me. Do you have any wonder why we can't have people defending God Children in elementary school in our Bibles do this. Have you ever heard of the concept of diffusion of responsibility? Remember the woman that was raped in New York City while 21 bystanders watched? Men will sink as low as we allow them. And so the word says, brothers, for the same reason that when we ask men to serve as part of our security detail at this church, we ask for men. We have a security detail at this church. We have a number of men who are carrying this morning. They have been trained. They have been certified. Sometimes it's our doctor. Sometimes it's law enforcement officers who are in our congregation. Sometimes it's men with much experience in the military. And so we ask men to volunteer. Now, why don't we ask women to volunteer? We have women here who carry. (laughs) I I try not to know about these things. (laughs) <laughs> you know i mean i'm not against it i suppose it wouldn't matter if i was you know <laughs> why do we ask men well we ask men because there's this little thing called sex it's a secret in the world today and sex determines who god has assigned the children to because she has the womb and she has the ability to nurse and so here's an idea when danger hits, the mother gathers the chicklets, and the rooster goes, scary. I mean, is this complicated? You'd have to have a college degree to, to forget it. <laughs> you know? And so, when the Apostle Paul addresses the church in Rome, he says, now listen up, brothers. This is really important. You keep an eye on. And if you chained it to brothers and sisters, what you've done is what is cursed at the end of scripture and revelation. Because it says that God pronounces a curse upon those who add or take away from his word. And so do not go down this path. You think that you can handle using a text of scripture that removes between a quarter and half all the occurrences of the word father and its cognates. That's what's average in modern Bibles. And that won't affect you, that won't affect your doctrine, that won't affect what kind of a father you are, what kind of a son you are, that won't affect how you work, that won't affect how you're a doctor. You can just read neutered things and you won't be neutered because you've got a sophisticated brain and you've got Jody Killingsworth is your pastor. You've been done, been inoculated against it. So you can use a Bible that says brothers and sisters because you're superior to all these people. Now, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on. So in other words, we're supposed to be surveying. Have you ever been out in the foyer and you've noticed that there's a serious man you're talking to and some reason, as he talks to you, you don't have eye contact with him. Have you noticed this out in the foyer? I mean, I've noticed it. You should notice it. It's like these dudes are serious. They keep their eye on who's coming in, how they're walking, what bulges they have, whether they have a trench coat on. I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions. Now I want you to notice here that it does not tell you to keep your eye on those who are arguing against critical race theory. It doesn't tell you to keep your eye on those who think that we can repeal the Second Amendment. It doesn't tell you to keep your eyes on those who are trying to get the Gentiles to be circumcised. It doesn't tell you to keep your eye on those who deny the Trinity It doesn't tell you to keep your eye on those who deny the resurrection. It is true that the Apostle Paul does do that at other places, but here he doesn't do it. So what does he do? Well, what you have to notice is he doesn't talk about any doctrine. What he does is he warns you to keep your eye on character. Those who cause dissensions. Now, at this point, it doesn't seem like I've said anything, right? Who cares? Character, doctrine, it doesn't matter. It's a warning, right? But it does matter, and the reason is scholars are going to constantly try to get you to separate doctrine from character. All right? They don't want you using ad hominem, arguments. But Scripture uses ad hominem arguments constantly. But in our modern world, it's viewed as being gauche. It is a logical fallacy, they tell us. And so what you really ought to do is look for the lies that they promote and then stand against the lies without connecting the lies to the character of the person promoting the lies. But here, you're supposed to recognize the lies by the character. You're supposed to look out, keep your eye on people who cause dissensions. And so the first thing that your head should hit is whether or not this woman and that man and this teenager are causing arguments and conflict. And you should be able to recognize who in this church is causing arguments and conflict. And those people, you're to keep your eye on. Are you all with me? And then it says, not just those who cause arguments and divisions, dissensions, but also hindrances. Hindrances is another word for stumbling blocks. These are people who cause you to sin in your doctrine or to sin in your practice. So there should be people in this church who cause people to argue, and there should be people in this church who cause people to sin. And you should keep your eye saying, dissension? Hindrances, dissension, hindrances, dissension. In your small group, you should look at the teenagers sitting around and you'll feel tension among them and you'll try to ascertain who in that teenage group is ca- causing dissensions. And then, what are you supposed to do? Keep your eye on those Contrary to the teaching which you learned, So one of the things is, so it's dissensions, divisions, conflict, it's sins of doctrine or practice, and they're contrary to what you've been taught. And so you're supposed to think, did Max, did Tim Wagner, did Jody, did Lucas teach me that? But really, what you're supposed to say is, is that... Scriptural. You're supposed to be a Berean. And you're supposed to be very jealous for the protection of what you have been taught. So you're supposed to see people that cause arguments, see people that cause sins, and then see people who are what? Well, who are inventive, who are creative, who have new insights. People who specialize in getting you to be bored at what has come before and to lap up what's coming now. Do you see this? People who are um, insightful. Well, that's insightful. <sighs> I very much believe in reading. I very much believe in study. I believe in books. Okay? I am not an anti-intellectual. In fact, I believe in the life of the mind so much and in truth that I despise modern education. Okay? And the reason is modern education feeds off the latest thing. Modern education is never paying attention to the past, even in history. It's trying to invent new interpretations and write it up as history. Now, I'm not against new interpretations. I'm not against reform. You know, I would not be against reform. But you know what Chesterton said? He says, in the matter of Reformation as opposed to deformation. And right away you have a new category in your mind. How much Reformation is sold that is really deformation? It ends up being less than the received wisdom that we taught you. Now, what I'm trying to say is that today the university is largely exactly what is said about Athens you remember what they said about Athens? They said that they sat around discussing what was the latest idea. They were just infatuated with style. So one, one day they're watching a football match and sure enough, you know, the, the, the striker shaved the sides of his head and then has the top long. And so now all the barber shops are shaving the side whitey tidy and then the top is wavy blavy, And that's the university today. You know, tomorrow it's gonna be whitey-tighty and wavy blavy. You know, and it's just so boring because it's like, it's like all of a sudden everybody changes and if you haven't changed, well, pity, pity you. You know, you're not a courant, And this is how we receive doctrine today. We just fall over ourselves reading men who have come up with an insight. And of course, if it's an insight, that means that it turns away from what we have received. Now, I'm not going to name names in the second service. But in the first service, I named a name. Because he represents to me over the past 40 years the main proponent of insights. And let's let's call him Dr. Wrong, just just for the sake of it. Dr. Wrong, okay? And he came up with a whole new bunch of insights about the book of Romans and about justification. Now, here's an idea. At the end of 2,000 years, don't you think it's time for us to have insights on the doctrine of justification, I mean, haven't you gotten a little bored? You know, defending the past, receiving from dead men and women. You know, I mean, how about it? Let's, let's go for it. Let's get excited about a new doctrine of justification. As a matter of fact, let's leave Dr. Wrong because we know he's not right. and let's move to the doctrine of men and women in the church and office. Let's, let's take Phoebe and, 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 and let's, let's have her be a deacon, not a deaconess, a deacon, and let's call her and, and, and the male deacons all together a mishmash. let's call them deeks. Brilliant! brilliant because it strokes me where I itch and it appears to be in conformity with what I have received. You see this. It strokes our feminist, egalitarian culture at the same time appearing to be faithful to Scripture and pretty soon all the churches in the country are fighting over whether or not you should have women deacons. And all the hipsters have women deeks and male deeks. And then there are churches that aren't comfortable with that, so they start filing charges against the churches that have deeks because they have no deaconesses. And guess what? The arguments, the papers that are written, they go on and on and on. Why? Well, because they were not content with the teaching which they had learned. They had insights. They had new truths. They had a new way of showing themselves in conformity with the culture. Are you with me? And guess what? They were just trying to be at peace with their culture. Are you with me? They were the peacemakers because the culture hated the fact that the church was not having women serve communion and hated the fact that the church didn't have women officers. And so along they came, and they said, let's have peace, you know? And uptight people who are divisive said no to them. And then the church was divided. says, whose fault was it? The people making peace with the culture, or the people saying no to the people trying to make peace with the culture? I mean, honestly, who's more responsible with the division? I mean, we all know that the church is divided today over women officers in the church, right? And isn't it true that those people who promote church officers are just simply trying to show themselves meek and gentle and lowly? You know, they're trying to say to the culture... You have legitimate concerns. We have been oppressive to women. And we're going to show you that women serve communion and women are pastors and women are deeks and men are deeks. And our Bibles say, brothers and sisters, aren't we relationally approachably kind of, you know what I mean, you know? And what kind of fuddy-duddy, uptight, Dude is going to divide the church over that. I mean, don't we want people to feel that we have their interests at heart? Aren't we in the city for the city? And so here's my next point. If you hear the Apostle Paul's warning, okay, and you keep your eye on those who cause dissensions, divisions, controversy, and those who sow sin of doctrine or practice, that is contrary to the teaching which you learned, are you with me? You will be called the divisive one. Do you understand this? If you say no to those that your eye fastens on because they're causing division, you will be called divisive because all all the simpletons in the church have gone hog wild for the innovator. Are you all with me? And so the whole world is caught up with Aaron and Miriam's rebellion And then Moses is so insecure. And he just feels like they're not honoring him. (laughs) You know? And all of a sudden he's even worse because his God gives her leprosy. You talk about a divisive man. And it's this way all through history. The man that speaks warning the church against the things the church doesn't want to be warned about is always castigated, humiliated, kicked in the rear end. He is the problem. He is the troubler of Israel. Do you see this? Why is that? Well, it's because sheep like to sleep and if you try to wake them up they say to you bug off can't you see I'm trying to sleep and you say there's a wolf and they say did you hear what I said I'm sleeping wake up danger 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 Oh, for heaven's sakes, get a grip, dude. Do you see any blood flowing here? You know, it's not danger. You just are self-important. You know, you have a serious lack of sense of proportion, Apostle Paul. You know, you're, you're, you're always seeing danger. I mean, you can't even get through a chapter of greetings and commendations without stopping in the middle of it, you know, and and... And say, no, you know, now why am I saying this? Well, anytime scripture warns you about something, you can bet your life on the fact that you don't want to be warned. Don't think that you're accepting what the Apostle Paul's exhortation is here. You don't accept it. You don't want to be warned. You want to be asleep. You want to be napping. You, as a mother, want to believe that by coming in this church, you no longer have to keep your eye on those who are causing divisions and stumbling blocks. Or you want to be in this church and leave it to the elders to keep their eye on. And so if the elders say, this person is excommunicated, then you'll... You'll observe that, but you'll never keep your, and you'll never ask your husband, and you won't have your eye on people in small group. You won't have your eye on people in the sanctuary. You just are are completely trusting of your elders. You're obedient, you're submissive, and it's the elder's job to keep their eye on people. You know? One of the things that anybody who's been a pastor-elder in the last 40 years is gonna tell you is that men have indeed lost their capacity to protect. They have lost their capacity. They aren't even committed to protection anymore. One of the first things you have to do as a pastor is wake your elders up to the fact that they have an obligation to protect. And one of the first things that happens, and it happened in this church, is you bring to the elders a horrible sin. And when I say horrible, capital H, horrible. And you're trying to get them to help, to give you wisdom, to help you think it through, maybe to go visit the family. And almost immediately, one of the elders inevitably will look at you and say, Pastor, do we need to know this? You know, I I can't tell you how many times I've had that said. Even the elders, the male elders think that they have a right to stay napping. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And yet the Apostle Paul says what? Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. And turn away from them. So every single phrase and word, we are trying to see how we don't like it and disagree with it. If you notice, that's the theme this morning. So we don't like that it says, and turn away from them. Why? Well, because we have a very high opinion of ourselves. We think that we're among the few who, having deep understanding and knowledge of Scripture and church history and Greek, that we need to go and talk to them and argue with them. And furthermore, if we won't argue with them, they're going to call us a coward. And that's not a good look. It's not a good look to run. And so we're going to go out there, you know, we've got our gun and our holster and our vest and we're going to do battle for Christ because we have such a high opinion of ourselves that that we're going to show how excellent we are at fighting. Right? But he says what? He says, turn away from them. Now, I'm not going to talk about myself, but I will tell you I know a man who's been in the ministry for a long time and is 68. And that man has made many mistakes by not turning away from men like this. And it wasn't until recently that that man realized that in Titus it says, "Warn a divisive man once, then a second time, then have nothing to do with him. You see, schism and division and error are very seductive and very dangerous. Robert Haldane, in his comments this morning, says that what's being warned against here is not outside the church, and it's not something that's been dealt with formally, and it's a function of you submitting to the elders and excommunicating someone. He says this is inside the church, and it's spreading, and it's gangrene. It's gangrene. When you see men and women who are older than you in the faith in this church turning away from somebody, have a clue. Don't try to show them that you're stronger and wiser and better able to argue and more knowledgeable about Scripture than they are. There are an awful lot of things. I was listening to a a wife of a physician yesterday described the day that her husband had somebody with scabies come in his office and i i don't know anything about scabies you know but oh my goodness when i heard about how he went wacko you have been sitting in my waiting room with my patients with scabies and i mean they had to they had to fumigate and they had to absolutely take that place apart. So if we understand that we have to do this with scabies, how much more do we have to do this? With men with insights and, and interpretations and, and unique spins on and all this other stuff. Don't go in for it. It's 2,000 years later. There aren't a lot of things to discover about the doctrine of justification. Okay? All right, dear brother, flip. For such men are slaves. Now remember what I said earlier about ad hominem arguments? Remember I said he's telling you to keep your eye on character. It continues here. Look, for such men are slaves not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. So this is another way you know them. They're divisive, they throw out stumbling blocks, they reject what is tried and true, they have insights, they forget what they've been taught, and what? And they're not slaves of Jesus Christ, they're slaves of their appetite. Now by this, you can think of Philippians saying their gods are their bellies, But the belly and the appetite here are not limited to food and drink. This is our lust. This is our desires. These are the things that we hanker after, okay? You can know a man you should stay away from. You should know the man that the Apostle Paul is warning the church against because you can see that he's in it for himself, It doesn't matter what he teaches. If you see that he's out for his own glory, his own promotion, his own money, his own convenience, his own comfort, his own family, don't trust him. Because he's a slave of this life. Now, you look at me and you go, why are you talking like this? I'm talking like this because I've warned you about this so often, but you, many of you don't want to be warned. The first application of this is the celebrity Christian culture. Have you ever tried to talk to a famous Bible teacher? I have. <laughs> you know. Do they want to talk to me? No. You say, well, yeah, but that's because you're nasty. If it was a nice guy, they'd talk to him. I say, they don't even know me. They won't talk to anybody. That's why they have handlers. That's why they require to sit in first class. That's why they have suites at their hotels. That's why there are green rooms behind the platform. They have no love for Jesus Christ or his sheep. You can't separate love for Jesus for love for the sheep. The apostle Paul was never telling somebody he was too busy to take care of them and listen. And neither was Jesus. And yet we go ape over men who are so high up that we know we're nothing and they won't talk to us and they go from first class planes to sweets to green rooms, to blah, 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 blah. blah. And then back to the green room, back to the suite, back to first class. Their God is their belly. They are slaves to their appetites. Do not listen to them. You say, well, what if their doctrine is good? Yeah, that's why the Apostle Paul starts with character. <laughs> and what I've noticed about all these famous celebrities is they never have a book banned on Amazon. Wake up. They're sophisticated. And I'm not insulting you. They're sophisticated, and you are not. <laughs> I know you think you are. I know you think you're the perfect curator of discernment. No, no. Actually, no. I'll leave it at that. Just no. Okay. Not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of The unsuspecting. That's what you are. You're unsuspecting. Listen, if there's anything I've learned in my lifetime, it's that it's very good to grow up in an editor and publisher's home. And the reason is that if you get one thing from somebody that deals with literature and editing and publishing, you get the ability of understanding communication. you are not capable of seeing through the smooth and flattering speech. You're just not. If you were, you wouldn't need a shepherd. And honestly, some of you who are worst at this are those who think they're best. I've tried to deal with Both men and women in this church who, you know, sometimes, they have high educational attainments. Sometimes a terminal degree. And they're terminally fooled. As a matter of fact, Joe Sobrin said, and I think he's right, that there are some things that are so stupid that only a PhD can believe them. You don't realize how credulous getting the terminal degree makes you. How naive it makes you. You think it's the opposite. You think that what the university is teaching is discernment. It's not teaching discernment. It's teaching crowd mob psychology. And the mob and crowd and the pressures of them change from department to department. And it is true that the hard sciences tend to have less mob psychology than the humanities. I was interested to see the last couple of days that following the massacre of our children that immediately there was a call for the repeal of the Second Amendment. Pressure put on the Supreme Court. Now, isn't this interesting? Their job is to defend the Constitution. And the minute there's a horror, pressure is brought to bear on them to repeal the Second Amendment. Now, I have opinions on the Second Amendment. I've never had a gun in my house. Okay? But I thought the practice of law, I thought constitutional law, had some grounding in objectivity. I didn't think that decisions were made on political pressure. I thought it was on the merits of the case. I mean, come on guys. Are we really going to think that today in the church, the people who are divisive, that cause arguments, that set sins out in front of us, that refuse to look back and only look forward and give their own opinions and their own interpretations and their own insights and use flattering and smooth speech, okay? Are, Are we really going to accept the fact that if they have a degree, say their degree is from Cambridge University in New Testament, that that has made them able to be trusted, even though we see that their God is their appetite. They're a slave of their appetite. Their ego is unbelievable. By their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of who? Whom? The unsuspecting. Let me ask you do you have a suspecting heart or an unsuspecting one? Which do you think is godly? The Bereans were more noble. Remember that. Why? Well, because when the preacher got done, they went home and opened up their Bibles to decide whether he was right or wrong. <laughs> you, listen, you can't be trusting of those who claim to speak for God. You have to examine it. What do you have to examine it for? Look at whether they're egotistical. If they're egotistical, don't trust them. They're God, they're slave, their God is their belly, they're slave to their appetites. They love to be seated in the high chairs, they love to parade. And boy, are they smooth. And you just sit there listening to me and think, I am in auspicious company. I am privileged to be present at this most enlightening occasion. I have risen up to the stratospheric levels of deep hermeneutics and theological acumen. Aren't I something? Well, why are you something? Well, because you're there listening to the smooth and flattering speech. That's it. You're in august company because august is speaking. Listen. We have have studied the Apostle Paul a lot. Was anybody putting him up in a suite? Was anybody flying him first class? Was anybody saying, I want to be like Paul? I mean, honestly, you think any little children were growing up thinking, I want to be like Paul? Now, if they loved Paul and their parents loved Paul, all they wanted to do was to be a shepherd, And it wasn't personalized. They just saw the glory of the work and they wanted to join with the men that did the work. Can you see the difference between that and the idolatrous celebrity worship of the American church today? Okay, please, Jake, Jacob. For the report, now at this point the Apostle Paul stops and he realizes he's been a bit intense. And so he thinks, okay, this is a sweet congregation. And I'm going to remind them who they are. So he says, for the report of your obedience has reached to all, therefore I am rejoicing over you. Very, very kind, isn't it? He's saying, look, I trust you. You remember in Hebrews where he says that, you know, um, I am, but I am convinced. He's got this intense warning in Hebrews. And he said, but I am convinced about better things with respect to you, you know? And so that's what the Apostle Paul's doing here. He's saying, listen, I know the sweet temper of this church. I know you guys are submissive, you're obedient. I don't want, I mean, he doesn't say this, but it's kind of like, you know, stay with me right? Stay with me here, okay? And then he says this, but, now you know that the word but is an adversative, all right? In other words, it's like moving you opposite the direction he was going. I know you're all submissive and obedient, respectful, and I know, but, 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 okay, but what? I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil, I know you want to trust people. I know you're submissive. I know you're obedient. I don't want to wake you up. But, you know, be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. How are you innocent in what is evil? By turning away from those who cause divisions. Turning away from those with smooth and flattering speech. That's how you stay innocent of evil. You look at the character and you turn away. You just turn away. Listen, there is not one pastor or elder of this church who has ever gotten a good name by doing their job. Not one of us and when i commend jody to you which i am doing and have done jody hasn't gotten where he is by riding his violin you get it he's used his violin when we've had need of it like dewane uses his blackness when we have need of it <laughs> but meanwhile jody's playing rock and roll guy that goes to the, to the conservatory over in England? You think it builds his reputation to lead a rock band? Max was making, I don't want to say, but I'm going to guess 20,000 more at Frito-Lay and on the track to be a Supervisor. And he came and shepherded us. Phil came out here. He was all prepared to be the next uh, uh, oh, Paul Hilliard. He was prepared to be the next Paul Hilliard. Hilliard Ensemble. Oh, beautiful. Before I'd ever heard of it. I loved them. He'd been sent out from 10th Prez, he was going to be the cat's meow. And he'd left rock and roll behind in high school. He'd learned how to be a snob. And he came here to get a degree that matched his snobbery. And here he is, a humble shepherd of our high school students in junior high. Mary Lee comes home yesterday and she says, I love Phil. And I said, why? I can go through the names of the elders. It's not one person who's served you whose God is their belly. And that does not mean that we are not, uh, what's that word for uh, fat? Uh, um, What's the word for the sin? Gluttons. It doesn't mean we're not gluttons. But you know, we repent of it. It doesn't mean we're sinless. But if you want to see why we're hated, it has nothing to do with being light or heavy or, or the various sins we have. We're hated specifically because of our commitment to protect you. I mean, you know that's true. And so you're submissive, you're obedient. Now, stay innocent with regard to evil. Remember what you've been taught. Don't depart from it. And if somebody tries to get you to depart from it, what are you supposed to do? Turn away. Don't think you're the one person that can handle it. Because you have such good technique. Just turn away. Okay, Jake, Jacob. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. <laughs> oh man, did I need that just now? Aren't you tired of your sin? And you notice who I'm looking at. I'm looking at the two front rows, us old people. We are so tired of our sin. Sometimes death looks good to us because we're ready for Satan to be crushed. Crushed. It's very interesting. This is an allusion back to the proto euangelian the, the first good news preached, which is God preaching at in the Garden of Eden by the curse that he gives the snake. okay. And there, in Genesis, we read this. The curse that he gives is, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the livestock and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Then, And I will make enemies of you and the woman. And of your offspring and her descendant, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And so uh, I think it was Lloyd Jones who says that we keep Satan still under our heel. It's a good image. He's writhing, and we know if we lift up our heel just a little bit that we might die. He's a a prowling, roaring lion seeking, and we keep our heel down. But notice what it says. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And so God is not going to crush Satan without your foot being involved. So God... Get good with your foot. Get good with your foot. Remember that Martin Luther threw his ink bottle at the d- devil up in the up in the room of Wartburg? Remember that? And then the end. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. That's sweet. Listen, you're not doing it alone. God pours his grace out on you. God will use your foot. God will use the Apostle Paul warning you. Don't be flippant, don't be credulous, don't be naive. See through what you should see through. It's not actually a compliment when in Proverbs 14, 15, It says the naïve believes everything. But the sensible person considers his steps. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that gave him such wisdom and such humility and meekness to be despised for the sake of your sheep. We thank you for Jody, for Max, for Phil, for Jason. We thank you for Stephen. We thank you for Jake and Nate and all the men who have served us so faithfully. We thank you for Wayne and Tim and for Jeff and Jeff and David, for Ben. We thank you for our shepherds, Lord, and we pray that you will keep them from being tired and letting down their guard, Father. Make them faithful and help us to honor them and listen to them, we pray in Jesus' name.